This Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, and so I'd just like to share with you a little bit about what we're going to be doing uh, during this season. Obviously, this marks the beginning of the Christmas season, and if you know anything about me, you know how much I love this time of the year. I'm a, a huge a fan of Christmas. I love just about everything about it, the decorations and the songs and, and even many of the cheesy movies. Um, I've been this way my whole life. I drove my parents crazy, and, and now Jenny has inherited that, um, so you can pray for her this month. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, we typically, though, we have a hard, hard, fast rule in our family that we don't really talk about Christmas or celebrate Christmas until after Thanksgiving because we just want to acknowledge that uh, you know, gratitude and Thanksgiving is something we don't do enough of, and so we want to give that its due place. Um, however, this year, because of all the rumors about shipping and all of that, we decided to do some of our Christmas shopping for the boys earlier uh, before Thanksgiving, and, and I, I even texted my wife and said, you've unleashed the Kraken. It's a little early, so, um, <clears throat> but I, I, do, I do love everything about this holiday, um, and because of that, you know, I, there are many times I am tempted to lose sight of what this time of the year is about. And I also acknowledge, though, and, and understand there are many people where this actually is a really hard season of life. This is a time of the year where you remember loved ones you've lost, you reflect upon relationships that are just broken, uh, or just acknowledge the, the fact that we live in a fallen world, and this is not a time to, to celebrate. It's not a time uh, that you look forward to. And that's why it's important for us to realize that, yes, it's Christmas, but it's also Advent. Advent means coming. It reminds us that Jesus came into our world, and that begs the question, why? Why did Jesus come? And so we need to celebrate this time of the year not simply by looking at the manger, not simply by thinking about the birth of Jesus and his coming into this world, but we also need to always keep our eyes focused upon the, the cross and the empty tomb. Because Jesus came for a purpose. He came to die as the atoning sacrifice upon the cross. He came to die for you. And he was risen from the grave in order to, to bring us life. And because of that, we have great hope, and this is a season of hope. It's a hope for those of us who love this time of the year, but it's also hope for those of us who really struggle at this time of the year. And so throughout the season, we want to focus on the question of who exactly is Jesus. And so to do that, we are going to be looking at the I Am statements in the Gospel of John. There are seven of them, and these are the different statements when Jesus makes a statement about himself. He says, I am the bread of life, or I am the light of the world, or I am the way, the truth. And the life. And each time he makes one of those statements, he is saying something incredible. He is saying that I am God. You see, Advent is not just simply about the, a man who was born, it's not simply about a man who died on a cross. It is about God becoming flesh, it is about God becoming one of us. And that changes everything. God humbled himself by becoming a man to live a perfect life, to be the only one who fully satisfies God's law and then to die as the only acceptable sacrifice upon the cross, so that we would have eternal life. And that is why we have great hope. We have great hope because God humbled himself, that Jesus became a man, lived a perfect life, and died sacrificially upon the cross for us. And so each week we are going to spend time reflecting upon who Jesus is, and as we look at these different I Am statements, not only are we going to be reminded that Jesus is God in the flesh, but each one of them give us a little idea of, of what exactly does that mean? And how does that apply specifically to us? How does that apply to our redemption? And so each Sunday I want us to spend time 
sitting at his feet and, and just looking at the face of Emmanuel, God with us. And hopefully that will give us opportunities to rejoice, to be encouraged, to have great peace and joy as we go through this season. And so the first passage in John is, I am the bread of life. That's found in John chapter 6, if you want to turn your Bibles there. And I will be reading for us verses 22 through 35. So I ask you to stand in honor of God's word. This is the word of God, and it is absolutely true, and it is given to us in love. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to them, Then what sign do you do that, you, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives light to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let us pray. O Lord, we are grateful that we have this opportunity to read your word and and to hear it proclaimed. We ask that you would enable us to understand it, that you would enable us to be changed by it. Lord, we pray that we would see Jesus in a new and fresh way this morning, that we would have a greater understanding that he is God in the flesh, that he is the bread of life, and that through him and him alone, we will never hunger or thirst. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So what, what exactly does that mean? Well, in order for us to answer that question, we need to look at both the historical context of, of some of this discussion that is happening between Jesus and the crowd, as well as the immediate context. And so I want to start by looking at the historical context, and that can be found back in Exodus 16. And in Exodus 16, God has already delivered his people Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, and he, they are in a, they're traveling on the way to the promised land. And right now they are in the middle of traveling. They are in transit. And because of that, a, a, a common problem arose. They were hungry. I mean, that's a, an important need, and it's understandable, because they are traveling, they, don't, they have not settled down anywhere. Food was not something that was easily obtainable. And so their need was, it was a genuine need, and it was a serious need. But they made a big mistake. And we see that in verses 2 and 3 of Exodus 16. 
This is what it says, the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So rather than seeking the Lord for help, rather than seeking the Lord to provide for them, they grumbled. They did not trust God. And not only did they not trust God, they actually accused God of of leading them to their death, that he was going to kill them by starvation. Do you ever do that? Do you ever grumble against God? Do you ever grumble when he does not answer your prayers in the way that you want him to? Do you struggle to believe that he is good and he truly wants what is best for you? Do you ever struggle to trust him? Thankfully, God is gracious and slow to anger, and he's faithful in keeping his promises. God had promised to lead his people into the promised land. This inherently meant that he was going to protect them, he was going to provide for them, he was going to take care of them and lead them. It also meant that he would give them food, or at least provide a way for them to have food, because they needed that to survive. And so God answers their grumbling in a supernatural way, and we see that later on in verse 12, when when the Lord says, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And so he provides them with this special bread called manna. And the manna would appear each and every morning, and they would, be, they would go out in the morning and collect enough bread for the day. It was enough bread to, to, to feed them for that day. But what did that bread actually represent? Well, manna certainly represented provision, but it also represented promise. And it also represented life. Without that bread, the Israelites would have surely died. Most of them would have died. They needed it to survive, so God provided it for them. He provided them with the bread of promise. So every morning when the Israelites would go out and they would collect this food, they are reminded that God loves them and that he's going to care for them, that he'll provide for them, and that he is faithful to keep his promises. And therefore, he can be trusted. Every time they they took that bread in their hands, they could trust the fact that they would one day make it to the promised land because that is what God had promised to do. And he is faithful. This is actually one of the reasons why later on when the Israelites had settled and they had built the temple and in the most holy place in the tabernacle, one of the things that they were told to put in there was a jar full of this manna as a reminder that God was the one that led them through the promised land, he, to the promised land. He was the one that provided them. He was the, the one that took care of them. But more importantly, it also reminded them that God was faithful to keep his promises. And more importantly, it also foreshadowed a greater promise that was yet to come. And this leads us back to John chapter 6. You see, in this passage, we see that Jesus is having this argument. He's having this argument with the crowd about manna. Because the crowd did not understand what the true purpose of manna was. And to help us get to the bottom of this, we need to look at what's happening sort of in this immediate context. And that takes us to the beginning of chapter 6. At the beginning of chapter 6, that's the passage where we read about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus performs this supernatural miracle where he takes five loaves of bread and two fishes and he transforms it into enough bread to to feed over 5,000 people with bread overflowing after everybody had their fill. 
And this miracle that Jesus performs, it accomplishes two things. First, it reveals his true identity. But secondly, it actually confused people. You see, this miracle, along with all of the miracles of Jesus, it reveals that he is God. And as God, he has the power to create. In this sense, he creates bread out of just a few loaves. He also has the power to provide for his people. He, he is able to provide food for over 5,000 people. And so whenever we see this power on display, whenever we see Jesus doing these supernatural things, these miracles, it points to the fact that he is God and he is the Messiah, the promised Messiah who's come to redeem his people. But that does not mean that everybody recognized him for who he was. As a matter of fact, this miracle actually led to more mystery and confusion. We see this in verse 26 and 27. Jesus responds to them saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So what does Jesus mean by this? What is he doing? He's revealing the true nature of their hearts. The reason why the people are following Jesus is not because they actually know who he is or they recognize him as the Messiah. They are following him because they experienced something from him. They failed to see what the miracle was actually about, what it was revealing. They failed to see that the miracle was showing them that he is the promised one, that he is the Messiah, that he, the one who stands before them, is God. They did not see that. You see, they didn't actually really want Jesus for who he really was. They just wanted Jesus for what he could do for them, for what he could offer them. And unfortunately, we see this happening all the time today. There are a lot of people that want what Jesus can give, but don't actually want Jesus himself. Sure, we want to be forgiven of our sins. We want to be assured that there is no hell or that if there is, we have a get-out-of-hell-free card. You know, we want to be able to have the hope that the promised you know, heavens and earth is somewhere where we will be. And there are other people that don't even necessarily want that. They just want what they feel Jesus should do for them. That Jesus should give us good health. That he should give us wealth and prosperity. That he should make us happy. The problem is that we want all of those things without actually having Jesus himself. Is that true for you? Are you truly interested? Are you truly in love with Jesus? Or you just want what you think he should give you? or what you think he has to offer. So Jesus reveals the heart of the people, and he continues to do this. We see uh, in the response to Jesus in verse 28, this is what they say, what must we do to do the works God requires? You see, they still don't get it, because eternal life is not something that they can earn. It's not something that they can do. So Jesus responds in 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent he actually gives a very clear and straightforward answer. He's saying, believe in the one he sends. Believe in me. And the crowd actually recognizes what he says, but they just aren't sure that that's true. They don't, they're just not sure that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is worthy of their faith, that he is worthy to follow. And so we see this in verse 30, that they ask yet another question. What sign do you do? that we may see and believe in you. What work do you perform? So they ask for yet another sign. They've already experienced this amazing miracle. The 
previous day when he fed, them, fed the 5,000, but yet they ask for another sign. Why? Well, verse 31 provides us with a clue. When they say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, that seems a little strange. Why is it that all of a sudden now they're talking about manna, this bread from heaven? When they're asking for a new sign, why is that the sign that they point to? Well, what you may not realize is that there was a, a commentary in the Jewish writings. There's a commentary written on the book of Exodus. And in that commentary, it was taught that when the Messiah came, that the Messiah would bring manna once again. And so most of the people, that's what they were looking for. That was one of the signs they were looking for, that the Messiah has come, is that manna would once again fall upon the earth, just like it did during the times of Moses. And so the crowd is, is wondering, there's many there that are wondering, is this Jesus? Is he truly the Messiah? Because if he was, there would be manna. There would be manna coming from heaven. Yes, he, he did a miracle. He brought more bread. But, you know, he, he actually had something to start with. When Moses did it, manna came from nowhere. Bread came from the sky. Jesus had something to start with. He just sort of magnified what he already had. So it was a lesser miracle in their eyes. They wanted Jesus to do something even greater, even more amazing than what happened during the time of Moses. If he was to do that, then that would prove that, yes, he is the Messiah. He's worthy for us to follow. He's worthy for us to put our faith in. So what does Jesus do? Well, look at verses 32 and 33. He says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he offers two corrections to the thinking. First, Moses is not the one that did the miracle. Moses was not the one that brought manna. It was my Father. It was God. God was the one who did that. And yet, when you see what Jesus did, Jesus was the one that did the miracle. He was the one that expanded the bread. He was the one that fed 5,000. What are the implications of that? And secondly, manna is not the, the true bread from heaven. You see, manna was earthly bread that came from an earthly sky and, and fell onto an earthly ground. The bread that Jesus is talking about, the true bread from the true heaven, is something different. And he adds one important detail, and this is where we can't miss this. In verse 33, when he's talking about the bread, he's talking about that the bread, the bread of God is a person. It is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach the crowd. The manna that God provided Israel, it pointed to something much greater than they even realized. It pointed to a much greater promise. Yes, God had promised to deliver them from bondage into the promised land. But that was foreshadowing a greater promise, something even more important, which is that God has also promised to deliver his people from their spiritual bondage to sin and to deliver them to the real promised land of heaven where they will spend all of eternity with God in his presence. And so the manna ultimately pointed to that promise, that God will provide a Savior to save us from our sins. And it all leads to Jesus he performs a miracle that displays his divine power, revealing that that day is here. The promise is fulfilled in your midst. Here stands Jesus, and he says, that day has finally come. This bread from heaven is standing before you. God's promise is fulfilled. And this leads us to the I am statement in verse 35, when Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Do you realize how amazing that statement is? First off, whenever Jesus says, I am, he is saying, I am Yahweh. It's the same word for the divine name of God. He is saying, I am God. And he's using this metaphor of bread that as God, he is the bread of life to teach us some important things about himself. I found uh, James Boyce's commentary on this to be very helpful. He he lists four characteristics of, of actual bread and how that helps us understand more importantly what Jesus came to do and who he is. And the first is this, that bread is necessary for life. Now this may seem odd to us in our day and age because for us bread is usually you know, a precursor to a meal or maybe something we have at the end of the meal to wipe down our plates. But in that day and age, bread was essential. It was the one guaranteed staple of every meal because all other kinds of food were hard to come by. Bread was the one thing that was stable. And therefore it was the one thing that was necessary for life. Without bread, people died. So when Jesus says he is the bread of life, he is saying that he is the one person that you cannot do without. He is necessary for eternal life. There is no other way. Without him, you don't have life. Now, people may manage for a time without Jesus, but their end will always be destruction. Without Jesus, you will die. And it's not just simply a physical death. You will die spiritually. You will spend eternity in hell without Jesus. But with Jesus, you are promised an eternity in heaven with him face to face. Jesus is necessary for life. The second thing that Boyce points out is that bread is it's suitable for everybody. There's all kinds of food allergies that people have. Some people obviously can't, you know, some people can't eat shellfish, some can't eat nuts. Some can't eat eggs, um, but bread is something that typically everybody can eat in some form or another. And so what Boyce is saying, he's not saying that Jesus saves everybody. What he's saying is that Jesus saves all kinds of people, that Jesus did not only come for the Jews. He did not only come for maybe the wealthy. He did not only come for those that have their act together. Jesus came for all types of people. And so when we say that he is the bread of life, we're saying that he is perfectly suited for the needs of all people, regardless of your background, regardless of of what's going on in your life, that Jesus is what you need. Listen to what Boyce says about this. He says, sometimes people tell me Jesus may be all right for the kinds of people you talk to, but he is not for me. That is not at all uncommon. If a person is of more than average intelligence, he tends to think that Christ is only for the dull If he is dull, he thinks that Jesus is only for the intelligent. If he is sophisticated, he thinks Jesus is only for the common people, and so on. But Jesus is for all. He is for you. He is the Savior of the world, and that includes the peasant as well as the king on his throne. Jesus Christ is great enough and glorious enough that you will never exhaust him either in this life or in eternity. He has what you need, and more than that, he knows you and knows how to meet what you need. So Jesus is suited for everyone. He is suited for you. He knows what you need, and he has what you need. Third, bread is something that should be eaten daily. People cannot survive for very long without food. The longer we go without food, the weaker we become. And therefore, it's something that we should eat every day, um, or we grow weak. And so when we say that Jesus is the bread of life, it means that we need to seek him every day, that we need to feed upon him spiritually every day. 
Because if we don't do that, we will grow weak. Which means that we won't love God and love others as we're called to do. It means that we'll be more prone to sin and open to temptation. It means that we'll start to lose joy and peace and hope. If we truly trust in Jesus, our salvation is always secure. But that does not mean that our lives are all that they can be. Jesus promises to provide us with everything that we need to live and to serve him each day. And he promises us to give us uh, what we need every day to live lives that are full of love and hope and peace and joy. Despite what might be happening in the world around you, despite what might be happening in your own life, despite your circumstances, you can have joy and hope and peace if you trust in Jesus because he is sufficient. And he promises these things to you no matter what you might be wrestling with no matter what your situation might be. Now, it must be pointed out that Jesus doesn't promise to give you today what you need for tomorrow, and that's hard. Why? Well, think about it this way. If if the moment you're saved, Jesus gives you everything you need for your entire lifetime, in essence, let's just imagine Jesus gives you a grace savings account that you can draw upon anytime you like, what need do we really have of him? No, he doesn't give us a grace savings account. He gives us grace that is sufficient for each and every new day. And that way, we can wake up every morning with hope that today is going to be a good day because we love and belong to Jesus and he has promised to give us what we need for that day. But do you struggle with that? Do you ever wake up thinking, I am just not sure I'm going to make it through this day? I just don't think I'm going to survive even just a few more hours. I don't think I have what it's going to take to make it through this day. Well, you probably don't, but Jesus does. And we don't need to ask these questions anymore because we already know the answer. Yes, you can make it through every day because Jesus' grace is sufficient day after day after day. We have all that we need for each and every new day. Just think about the freedom that provides. This is one of the reasons why we're told to pray for our daily bread, because he gives us exactly what we need for every new day. No more and no less. We need to seek Jesus by faith every day. Fourth and finally, bread produces growth. You need proper nourishment in order to grow physically, and that's true spiritually as well. You need proper spiritual nourishment in order to grow spiritually. And Jesus is the right and only nourishment. It's one of the things that we need to remember whenever we come to the Lord's Supper is that when we come here, we are feeding on him spiritually. We are being, this is a means of grace. It enables us to grow in grace, to grow in love, um, and to, to grow in our understanding of Jesus. What are some other ways that we can do this, though? What are some other ways that we can grow? Well, we need to, to read and study and meditate upon his word. We need to spend time in fellowship with God through prayer. We need to seek to, to be around one another and to encourage and challenge brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to make worship a priority to come into the assembly of God's people and to worship God as our Lord and Savior and King. There are many other things that we need to be doing, but we we need to be actively seeking to feed on Jesus spiritually each and every day. We need to seek to grow because if we don't do that, we'll just be weak and weary because Jesus alone produces growth. Jesus is the bread of life. He is God in the flesh. He humbled himself by becoming a man 
He suffered and he died. And he rose from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of God. He did this because that is what it took to save you and to save me. He did this because he loves us more than we can possibly know. Therefore, Jesus is necessary. He is necessary for eternal life. He is necessary for hope and for joy and for love. Therefore, he needs to be sought daily, and in him alone will it produce growth in his people. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this this gift of Jesus, to the bread of life? Well, look at what else is said in verse 35. Again, it says, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus bids us to come and to believe. If we do this, he promises that we will never go hungry or thirst. We all hunger. And I'm not talking about a physical hunger. We all hunger spiritually because we were all created to be in a relationship with God. That's true of every human being that has ever existed, that we were created to be in a relationship with God. But sin messed that up. Sin destroyed that relationship. It severed that relationship. It is damaged. The problem is is that need still remains. And therefore we hunger and we thirst. And this is just not simply a physical thing. It's, It's a deep longing within every human being. There is this need for this relationship that does not exist. And we all know it to be true, yet we will spend our lifetime suppressing it or hiding from it, or running from it, or trying to fill that longing with so many other things. It might be money, it might be success, it could be popularity, it could be relationships. There are lots of things that we try to fill that void that is within us. But what happens? It doesn't work. They don't satisfy. Why? Because none of those things are God. They don't even come close. Only God can fill that void. And that brings us back to Jesus, the bread of life. What about him? Well, he is God. And therefore, he can satisfy our deepest longings. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the only one that can do this. Therefore, don't look to others as your primary source of nourishment. Yes, people are important. We, we are supposed to be in relationships with one another, and we need to continue to pursue those. But none, none of us, not, there is not a single person that can replace Jesus in your life. Your spouse, your child, your mom or your dad, your best friend, none of them can be Jesus in your life. And it is not fair to expect that of them. Because Jesus alone satisfies. He alone fulfills us. He alone can fill that void within us because it is through him and him alone that that relationship with God is restored, that that void is filled. Only Jesus can provide these things. I think we are oftentimes also tempted not only to, to, find, to fill that void with people, but with things. We are tempted to, to seek worldly things to provide for us security or significance and happiness. But none of them can do it. Only Jesus can provide those things. The true hunger that each one of us possesses can only be satisfied by him. And the sad part is is that not everybody comes to him. Well, how about you? Have you come to Jesus? Faith is all that's required. 
Listen to his words. Come and believe in me. Come and believe in Jesus. He is fully God and he is fully man. And he died on the cross as a sacrifice for your sins. And we know that his payment, his sacrifice was accepted because he was risen from the dead. He rose from the grave. And therefore we have great hope. We've been given eternal life. And the amazing thing is Jesus paid this price willingly because he loves you that much. Jesus and, and only Jesus is the only way that these deepest longings of our lives can be filled. It is only through Jesus that we can be truly satisfied, that our deepest desires can be filled, that our greatest needs can be satisfied, and that we can have peace that has been missing ever before we ever came to him. It is only in Jesus that you will never hunger or thirst again. For Jesus is the bread of life. Come and believe in him. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for Jesus, the bread of life. We thank you that he humbled himself by becoming a man, that he lived a perfect, righteous life, and that he died as an atoning sacrifice upon the cross so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Lord, we know that it is only in Jesus that our deepest longings, our greatest needs will be fulfilled. And Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know him, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that you have mercy upon them and that they come to trust in Jesus, that they come and believe in him. And Lord, for those of us here that do belong to you, Lord, I pray that you would continue to grow us in our faith, that you would continue to grow us in our dependence upon Jesus. Lord, forgive us for the many times that we seek to fill this void in our lives with all things that aren't you. Aren't you. Lord, help us have a greater understanding that you are all that we need and that your grace is sufficient for each and every new day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.